So, if those, uh, we, we went through the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2 last week, and I know it was a lot, and so I was trying to divide this section up again, and it's just not going to happen. So we're going to get through this whole section. Remember that, obviously, there's ways that we can look at all of these verses and spend a lot of time studying them, and I, I like, there's a, there's a place for that, but what I feel like God's calling us to do as a, as a group, as a church, is to see like this larger picture of what's being trying to communicate uh, if you missed last week or any of the ones, we do put it on podcast form, so it's easy just to kind of download throughout the week. It's on Apple as well as on uh, Spotify. So with that, as we were finishing up chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 last week, we kind of just saw that God did a work and he saved this new community of believers. And, and if you were here, we, were, we looked at the idea of being saved from God's wrath. We were saved by God's grace and we were saved for God's work. And we kind of just explored, like, what does it mean to be saved? I mean, I think we hear it so much. So if you missed that, jump in there and listen to it. Um, but as we look at this week, the thing that was overwhelmingly kind of visible to me as I was just processing and praying through is this idea of division. And we see, I think in today's world, um, everyone's divided. You know, um, Everyone's different. No one wants to change, yet everyone demands unity. And I think that often, the word unity is often misused. I think what people mean when they say unity is uniformity, right? We all got to be the same and think the same and be the same. Um, and the reality is, is that our differences do, in some regards, create bar- barriers, right? We, we have natural barriers, you know, culture, you know, race, gender, family, things like that. We have subjective barriers. It could be like hobbies, politics, desires. And even in the church, we've seen a lot of this. You know, doctrine causes division. We have the idea of religion and liberties and all these things. It, it seems like we are so focused on all the ways that we're different. We're focused on all the ways that we're not the same that it's causing major division and we're seeing it across the board and the church is not absent from it and it is unbelievably sad. And so we have to ask the question then, well, how do we function in a space of health? How do we move forward being unified in purpose but yet have the freedom to be different? And so I think that this passage addresses that and the idea that it really starts with focusing on our similarities. And so Paul, as he's talking to the church in Ephesus, he does remind them of how they were different, and then he brings them into a space where he shows, hey, listen, remember you were this, 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 you were very different, but now in Christ there's this newness, there's this new community that we're the same in. And so we're going to jump right into it. Verse 11 and 12, he kind of starts it off after telling them they're this new creation. He says, therefore... Remember that you are at one time Gentiles of the flesh, called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made, uh, which is made in the flesh by hands. Kind of a weird way to start. But we have to keep in mind that culturally, the Jewish people and the Gentile people were, were separated, and there was an animosity that existed, especially with the Jews towards the Gentiles. And it, and we have to understand this. Kind of have to go all the way back to the beginning. God created the world, right? He created it good. He created human beings to be image bearers of God. Our purpose was to image God, to communicate something about God to the rest of the world. And as many of you know the story, we failed miserably. The world was broken. Distortion set in. Sin came in. Death came in. Human race 
in a lot of ways just went downhill very, very quickly. That God was not done yet. He wasn't, he wasn't finished with humans, and so he continued, continued to pursue humanity, and he started with a new man, Abraham, who became a people, and he showed grace to this, this man, Abraham. He entered into a covenant with him. He created this new people, and it was said he, by his descendants, the whole world would be blessed. And it was this people that became the Jewish nation, and God chose to dwell with them. He entered into a covenant with them, and he let his presence dwell in their borders, in a temple. He gave them a law so they could have access to him, even though it was very, very limited, and we're going to look at that. And he told this people, this, the Jewish people, that I want you to be a blessing to the whole world. And, uh, but I need, you need to do that by being separate, right? Well, they took the separate part real good, and they did the, uh, the whole blessing the whole world real bad, right? And so they ended up hating the whole world to the point where they would say something along the lines that the Gentiles exist to fuel the fires of hell. They were not on good terms, right? So then Jesus comes, this new Adam, this new image bearer, the true image bearer, and he dies for the sin of the world. He lives the perfection. He becomes the right, the, the perfect human, right? Dies, resurrects, creates this new people that exists, Gentiles and Jews, and the Gentiles start coming to know Jesus. And it's creating this idea of like where the Jews are like, Should we, are they good? Are they bad? It, it created this weird dynamic. And so Paul is reminding them, he says, therefore, therefore, since you've been reconciled to God, therefore, since you are this, this uh, poema, this, this work of art that's communicating something about the author, because of this, remember that you too, before this, were outside. You were a Gentile. You were, you were something that was outside of God's covenant. And that's what the idea, when he talks about the idea of circumcision, it was a sign of the covenant that God had. You were outside of this. And then he goes on in about five different ways to show how outside they were. And I think it's look, looking at this is a great reminder of what people that aren't following Jesus, that don't experience these things, might be going through. He starts off when saying that you were separated in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. They were separated from God's Savior. Before Jesus, they were separated from God's Savior. Now this is important because Israel worshipped the one true God. And one of the things that they were promised by God is that one day He would send His Messiah, His Christ, His Savior to save them. The Savior King was going to res rescue them. And the Gentiles, they didn't have that. Okay? They, they were polytheistic. In fact, the ones in Ephesus worshipped Artemis, this, this fertility goddess in Ephesus. And their interaction um, that they had with their gods was often repeated appeasement, trying to do enough for their God to like them, for their God not to destroy them, never knowing if it was enough. They had no knowledge of a Savior. They had no possibility of understanding forgiveness. That was their state. But he goes on. He says that they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenant. Alienated from the commonwealth. This idea of God's rule. Commonwealth is this idea of citizenship. They were alienated. They were on the outside, excluded from being a citizen of God's kingdom. And it may not sound like a big deal, but the idea that Israel was a theocracy, which meant that they were designed to be ruled by God, and they aligned their life in such a way 
to do that. And that's God's law was part of that process. And with that came benefit. The main one is they had access to God. They had access to God. They could be, they could go to, to God essentially at the temple. They had a relationship with God. They had direction by God. They had protection by God. They had a lot of benefits with that. And I, I think the biggest one is that the creator of the universe chose to dwell in physical form in a specific location in the world, in the temple. But even that had a ton of separation. I mean, simple humans could have interaction with God. It, it was this idea that anybody could come to this space, but only the Jewish people could enter in. But the Jewish people that could enter in could only be clean. And the ones that entered in to one level could only be men. And then beyond that moment, it only could be priests, but they had to be dialed in too. But then to get to the Holy of Holies, it had to be the high priest once a year, only with much sacrifice. There was still, even in this space that God allowed his presence to dwell, where human beings could have access to God, to have a relationship with God, there were still so many barriers. And, and, and it, so the Gentiles, in addition, to that, had no, they were ignorant. They were alienated from all the benefits and the privileges that God offered the Jewish people. But then he says, they were strangers from the covenant of promise. Estranged, really, from God's character. They were foreigners from God's covenant. God, in his holiness, made a promise and a covenant with Israel. In fact, it started with Abraham. And I've talked about this covenant before, and it's beautiful. It's in Genesis chapter 15, where God promises Abraham to make him this great nation. And he takes the animals, he says, take these animals and divide them in two. And, and this, it's a pretty bloody scene, right? There's like halves of animals. And, and he said, and he said, I'm going to pass through. Like and Abraham fell asleep and God's presence passed through. And he made a promise that from his descendants, the whole world would be blessed and he'd bless him. And what's interesting about a covenant back then is if you pass through a covenant, both parties would pass through. And what you were saying was, if I don't, Fulfill my end of this. Let me be a curse. Let me be like these animals. Cut in two. It's very gruesome. And what's interesting about this covenant that God made with Abraham is Abraham never passed through it. God only passed through it. And like we've talked before, Abraham never had to pay for breaking the covenant. His people never had to pay the penalty for breaking the covenant. The person that was torn to two, the person that was ripped apart, the person that was died because of breaking the covenant was Jesus. God fulfilled, he was faithful to his end of the covenant, and at the same time, he paid their price for breaking the covenant. It's beautiful. The covenant was God's promise to remain faithful to these people, and despite their craziness and the rebellion, he held on. The Gentiles were alienated from that character of God, the character that of a faithful God. They did not have that. They had no guarantee. They had no promise. Their gods were fickle that they served. They didn't know if one day they were going to wipe them out or one day they'd, they'd give them something, right? The idea of a faithful, loving God who desired to be in relationship with his people was a completely foreign concept. And then he goes on again and explains another difference they were experiencing. They had no hope. Pretty blunt. Hope, hope's desire mixed with expectation, right? Like, 
We're hoping for something. We desire something. Israel knew that God's plan included, included sending His Son, included sending a Savior, the Messiah, the Savior King, to save them and rule them. And they waited in hope for that. Like despite their situation, their situation was they were ruled by Rome. But despite even that, they still just hope that one day God will make all things right. One day everything will be brought back to the way it was. One day we'll be with God. One, I don't know when it is, but one day God is at work and he's, one day he's going to make all things new. The Gentiles didn't have that. It's not like they didn't have hope in things, but their hope was weak and minuscule. It was, it was completely dependent upon them to bring it to pass. How hopeless is that, this idea of going like, that every, my whole etern- like destiny is completely dependent upon me. That doesn't bring anxiety. I don't know what will. That was their hope. They didn't have hope like that. And then, lastly, they were deprived of God's presence. It says, without hope and without God in the world. God's presence. But Israel had a relationship with the creator of the universe. They were familiar with the truth that God is full of loving kindness. Like, God described himself. Like, when God described himself, he, he, his own description of himself was, I am a God filled with, like, full of loving kindness. Right? Like, that's how he described himself. And Israel knew that. They were not left on their own. They had God in the world, a God that was a God of loving kindness, a God of gracious, rich in mercy. The Gentile gods were not relational, and if they were, you probably wouldn't want to be in a relationship with one. To be loved by a God would blow their minds. And so he's telling these people, remember where you came from. And although he's speaking to a very specific people at a very specific time, I think every one of us are processing, even right now, things that may be connected with us before we knew Jesus. We're remembering, man, oh, yeah, I didn't have hope before. Like, there's people that are living their lives this way still, right? And they're trying their best. And I think that sometimes it's easy to forget what God has done for us. And I think when we see it this way, and I love why Paul's doing it, it seems like he's doing this, it gives us a heart of compassion for people because we see them as God sees and we see them as we maybe once saw ourselves. We realize like, man, people are in a lot of pain and a lot of them are trying the best they can with what they have. And it's easy for us to go, man, they're idiots, they're stupid, they don't know what they're doing, I can't believe they think that, I can't believe they believe that. They're the enemy. But this is all of us at one point or the other. We were without God, we were without hope. We are alienated from God, love of God. Like, so I, he starts with setting the page, setting the tone of let's see people the right way. Let's have compassion. And then he leads into reconciliation. Then he leads into, well, this is why we're the same. Verse 13. But now, 
in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments and the ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man, mankind, humankind, in place of the two, so making peace. And He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and He preached to peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. But now, God did. God did this. Not me, not you. God, right? So he goes, this is where you were at. This is your state. And then look at what God has done. The gospel is good news because it's God's work. It's because of what God has done. That's why it's good news. It's good news for believers. I love how Paul is talking to the church and he's reminding them of what Jesus has done. We need the gospel today. We, that's not just for non-Christians and people that don't follow Jesus. I need to be reminded of what God has done. So he starts off with telling them, you had the same problem. You were all far off. Right? Even the Jewish people were far off. You had the same problem. You were all far away. Through Jesus, we have been brought near. Through Jesus, we have been brought near. Although they may, were, may have been close in proximity, like they could get closer to the presence of God, they were far off. In Christ, by the blood. That's in, he goes far off, brought near by the blood of Christ, who is our peace. It's interesting because Jesus is, it, it's a two-part thing, right? The blood paid for our sin. So we could come. We, we were, we're innocent now. We've been forgiven of our sin. But Jesus fulfilled the law too. We can't forget that. I am acceptable to God because of Jesus and Jesus alone. When I come before the Father, He sees Christ's righteousness, not my righteousness. Because I don't have any righteousness. My best attempts at righteousness is garbage. Okay? And so God's love and his grace that he bestows upon me is because of Jesus and Jesus alone. The same as with my neighbor that's following Jesus. The brother in Christ or sister in Christ that I don't like, right? They need Jesus' righteousness too. Like we come before the Father clothed in Christ's righteousness so I'm fully loved and fully accepted by the Father because of Jesus' righteousness and I'm fully forgiven because of his sacrifice. That is how we were brought. We had the same problem. We were far off, but we were brought near because of Jesus. And he also, we see that we have the same Savior, right? It's not like one, Jesus saved me and didn't save them or that they're being, people are being saved by a different way. We have the same Savior, Jesus. Through Jesus, we've been brought together. And it says that he's made us both one. He also says Jesus is our peace. 
What that means is the idea that Jesus is the meeting point. Jesus is the meeting point for all of us. We may come from different places. We might have different areas of frustration. We might have different backgrounds, different culture, but we come together and we meet at Christ. He has our peace. And then he says he's broken down this wall of separation. A lot of this is referring to the temple wall, right? Because there was the outer wall where people could come, Gentiles, and then there was this inner wall that was only for Jewish people. In fact, if you crossed in there, it was punishable by death. And he breaks that down. But he breaks it down by his sacrifice. Right here it says, and uh, therefore killing the hostility, it says, uh, making peace, he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. But he did it by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of the two. Breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Again, we have this concept of the idea of Christ's sacrifice and Christ's righteousness. I'm emphasizing this because I grew up in a culture that emphasized his death, but the righteousness was up to us. They would never say that explicitly, okay? They would never say it explicitly, but it was implied. You're saved by grace, but you're sanctified by your own works. They would never say that, but it was implied. You'd come to follow Jesus, then what? Get to work. Read your Bible, serve, do all, do all these things. And, and, and they would still be like, by grace, by grace, by grace. But yet, if I wasn't reading enough or doing enough, I would be like, mm, are you doing good though? And you always knew where it was because if I was struggling, they'd be like, well, are you reading your Bible? Are you serving? Like, and I'm not minimizing those. Those are important things. That's how we know God. But I am fully loved and fully accepted by the Father because Jesus tore down the wall. He fulfilled the ordinances. He did the work. He is righteous on my behalf. He is my righteousness. He became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. Okay? That changes my posture when I come before God. It changes my posture when I look at other people. Because I am as just as much in need of grace as you are. I am only loved and accepted. I'm loved because God loves me, but I'm only accepted because of Christ. It changes how I come before God and how I approach other people. And so he says that I'm created this, this new humanity, this one. It's no longer those that are my chosen people and those that are not. It's this new humanity. The other thing that we have the same need is that is we have the same need that we need peace with God. And so with, through Jesus, we've been all been brought near and he reconciled us through the cross, killing the hostility, and then he goes on and he kind of shows how we're this new, like a new family, right? He talks about, hey, we, first off, we're this new, in verse 619, he says, no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens. So we have this idea that we're a new kingdom. With kingdom, isn't a crazy idea is that the kingdom is Jesus is the king, that we all have access to God, God's removed these barriers, and we're following. It's a kingdom without borders. It's a kingdom without language barriers and it's a kingdom without cultural barriers it's a kingdom that we unify at christ and so we can come from different languages and different backgrounds and different cultures and we can find peace like i said at christ and we can be this new people that is desiring to image jesus as we live out our lives in everyday life and our background and our language and all this stuff doesn't shouldn't affect us in regards to how we're divided 
But he also says we're a new family. He says, you know, you're saints and members of the household of God. And we've talked about this before, but this idea of this familyness. Before we were strangers, now we're fellow family members. How? By adoption. By adoption. Which I love that idea, and I think it's I don't think it's we can underestimate the importance of the idea of adoption. The adoption is something where someone says, I want you. Right? Like I want you. Like I I want to raise you, and I want you to be in my family. And this invitation is open to anybody. It's not because I'm awesome, it's because God is awesome, right? So we know the areas of weakness and struggles and pain and everything else, and God at one point goes, I want you to be part of my family, and I'm going to be your father. I'm going to commit myself to you for life, and you're going to have all the same access of any other family member. And he brings us in. And I love that what we see is this family is one of the primary like, descriptions as being a follower of Jesus. It's this a relational, familial aspect. And with family, I, I've talked about this before, this new family is that with family we're loyal, but there's times a family you don't necessarily enjoy certain people, and that's okay, right? Like, we don't always enjoy every single, like, I think sometimes it's like, oh man, if I don't just love and enjoy every member of Paul Better of Christ, like, I'm a terrible person. It's like, no, but there's a loyalty. Like, you call somebody up, it's like, we're family, like, I got your back. Like, but we're maybe not hanging out every week, right? So as followers of Jesus, like, this idea we're all different, we meet at Christ, we're, we're unified in that, and we're loyal to each other because we're all following the same Savior. But lastly, this thing that we are now is where this new temple. He says, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you were also built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is awesome. The temple was a space that people had to work to get to. It took money and cost to get there. They had to be dialed. The more dialed they were, the more Jewish they were, the farther they got, the closer they got to God. And God now in Jesus places his spirit in human beings and sends his temple to people. He sends his temple to people. There's no longer this wall of division. There's no longer a journey I must go to, a hill I must ascend. God comes down and sends his temple to people. And people get to experience God's presence through you and me. They get to experience God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy and his goodness through us. He sends his temple to people. It's not limited by a physical structure in a certain place, but it's mobile. It's built by God, it says, right? Which is interesting because sometimes we don't, we don't always know where we fit. But we can trust that God is working to find a fit for us and finding us in his body of Christ in his temple to have some sort of function. And we may not know what that looks like, but sometimes it's just going and being Jesus to people. It's just having relationship with people. It's just being available. And it says that it's built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, right? There's this idea that, that this apostles and prophets, right, is what we've been built on. But the foundation, the cornerstone is Jesus. The a cornerstone would set the tone, right? It would set the direction. It would set the, the angles. It was what everything else was lined off of, and Jesus is the cornerstone. And I think that a lot of times 
it's easy for Jesus not to be the cornerstone. It's easy to have sometimes even the apostles and prophets be the cornerstone. I've been in a lot of different Christian communities where we very much delve in and and enjoy and, and emphasize the Word of God, but a lot of times the God of the Word, Jesus, is not seen. There's a lot of times in Sundays where we'll go through the entire Scriptures, but, but with Jesus and His hope as the hero of Scripture isn't even brought up. We're often, it's about what do I need to do for God rather than what God has done for me. Where Jesus is not the line with which we're guiding everything, but it's denominations and affiliations and whatever. Where we go, we're not going to have fellowship because you don't align with what I believe about these things, but, but at the end of the day is Jesus. And here's the reality. We don't have all the answers, man. Like, how many of us have been following Jesus for any significant amount of time and go, man, I used to believe this and that was wrong. And I taught it over and over and over again to people. Thank God that the Holy Spirit is the editor of, the, of what I say. Thank God that he's the one that opens the ear. I could be saying some completely wrong stuff. You might be not even hearing it right now. Thank God for that. Because the only one that's going to change a life is the Holy Spirit. The only one that's going to change a heart is Jesus. And that's it. And so we want to make much of Jesus. And it's not minimizing the apostles and prophets. It's not minimizing God's word. But Jesus allows us to see it correctly. With us understanding that we're probably not seeing it correctly. Being okay with that. Jesus, I'm doing the best I can. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is teaching me. Thank you that I can find rest knowing that I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to see it perfectly. I'm just doing the best I can. And thank you for your grace in that space. And so for us, as we kind of close out, it's good to be reminded that we have the same needs. It's good to be reminded that we experience the same lostness, the same disconnect from God. And that at the end of the day, we're equal. We're before the Father in need, going, thank you for your grace. And that He loves us, and He values us, and He's given us His Son. It should change how I treat people. This should change how I see others. This should change how I see myself. When somebody believes secondary issues for us, it shouldn't be an area of division. Church, Jesus died so people could be reconciled to God and that we could be reconciled together so that we could have fellowship despite our differences. So with that, I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to have some more music, some worship. We can respond to God. Um, whether this is a time of remembrance or maybe he's bringing some to your attention. We have the elements available for communion. Um, you can come up and dip it in the juice and take it back to your seat or you can eat right there. As we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken, right, for us. He his body and essentially like his, his, what he's done for us, right? And his blood was shed. He's, he's paid our penalty that he's both our righteousness and our forgiveness. And he says to do this in remembrance of him, like that we're coming and remembering. It says we don't have to have everything dialed. We're even in our struggle, even in our sin, even in our, in our area where we feel utmost shame, come to the table because that is us going, I need Jesus, man. I need him. I need him like food and drink. I need him. The beautiful thing about communion also, it's unifying. 
Because the same bread and juice that's going into me and becoming part of me physiologically is becoming part of you. We're becoming one, even in this act. I'm going to be available to pray as well out there if you guys would need.